This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. It's Dan Morgan, it's Ollie Connolly, it's Joel Rabinovitz. Uh, a full roster of Liverpool.com staff after Liverpool have magnificently won two games on the trot um, in 2021, which is a blessing, uh, as is you know the change of the seasons and um, Liverpool getting players back to fitness and in general the mood, which seems to be uh, Joel getting a little bit more positive. There seems to be some green shoots of recovery coming back to Liverpool. It does, yeah. Um, it's nice that the Leipzig game this time wasn't just another kind of false storm before a huge crash down back to earth in a league match. Um, I think myself and quite a few people almost went into the Wolves game with so little expectation, almost resigned to the fact that top four was probably beyond them at this point. And then they, at times in the game, look like they're at risk um, of kind of, I think they were getting a little bit nervous, which is understandable in the second half. It didn't start brilliantly. And I think over the course of a 90 minutes, they probably only really played well for, I'd say, 15 or 20, probably either side of of halftime. Um, but they just hung in there, did enough. And I think I mentioned it to Ollie on our post-match Facebook call, but I think Liverpool have played better than that and drawn or lost a lot of games recently. And so it was nice to see that turned round and kind of, as Klopp said, I think he called it an ugly three points or a dirty three points. Robertson said the same thing. It's been a really long time since we've had one of those horrible 1-0 wins. I actually had a look. The last time I did it was in the league, was um, Norwich away last season before football stopped. Um, first time this season, really, when they've been winning games this season, it's usually been by a few goals or they've won 2-1 or something like that. But we haven't seen one of those go away from home and just score once and hold on. And yeah, it felt good. The timing of a goal obviously was massive just before half time. And yeah, you, you worried a little bit, I think, when the stoppage time with Rui Patricio and the amount of added on time and you just wonder whether they might sort of retreat into their shed a little bit towards the end and it got a little bit ragged with that final run with Traore. But yeah, it feels great. And also two clean sheets, a bit of stability and a centre-back partnership that actually looks like it could be something solid going forward. I mean, Oli is, is top four, sort of back within reach. It would take a few variables. I particularly um, would keep an eye on Leicester. I think there's every chance they might fall off. Uh, they've got the, the experience from last season, but they just look a little bit vulnerable to me and they look like they're scraping at the minute, which they can still do. But is it there for Liverpool? The big thing that's hard to tell is that everyone has to play each other in that top four. Liverpool are probably in the best situation of not really having to play yeah. many teams that are above them. Now, Joel and I spoke about this the way. How much does that help and hurt given that playing West Brom and Newcastle away this season has been an issue and some games against the, the big boys as well? The team has really got up for the matches. So you can kind of spin it both ways. On eight, but the running looks good. And you have City, I think, are playing five of the teams above Liverpool with the rest of the way. So if you give mm-hmm. them all of them, which you wouldn't but be on City, you can you really help yourself. I think you, you, it's almost coming down to a neck and neck race with Chelsea when you look at the way the goal difference and the, the mass add up is you can need them to drop four points, lose one, draw one, and you're on better goal difference essentially. So that to me is what you're looking at. And that isn't that wild when you think where we were even a fortnight ago if Chelsea dropped four points the rest of the season and you just trend along with them the rest of the way that that seems reasonable so I think that's their best shot the most encouraging sign for me out the Wolves game is just how all these pieces kind of fit together now that they can they can really game plan the rest of the season in terms of the squad but that 11 that's playing at the moment 
all the pieces kind of fit. You don't have to be terrified about when does Henderson come back. It's falling apart until he does. That's just a nice bonus when he comes back, whether you rejumble the centre-back partnership or you slot him in for Genie. But all those pieces at present fit pretty well. Firmino might be an add-on. You've got to figure that situation out. But having a malleable front three, the shuttler, the screener, Thiago free to do whatever he wants, be able to change the fullbacks role week to week because of everyone around them. And knowing that, yes, we're weak in the centre-back spot, but Firmino kind of acts as a third wheel there and you can either sit in deep or press him higher up the pitch, depending on what you want. It all kind of makes some sense. And it's the first time in a long time you felt like, well, we know the 11 and everything on the bench or everything in the squad is more of an addition than it is trying to plug holes all over the space. Okay. Um, well, for this podcast, we we're not going to stay too much in the uh, in the Leipzig space or the Wolves space. We're uh, we're going to talk conspiracies, and we're going to talk over our favourite conspiracies. And uh, we all know that you know lockdown is tough, and we're all having a tough time at home right now. But there's a it's fair to say there's a couple of people online who uh, are maybe um, going a bit extreme with some of the stuff around Liverpool at the moment, and. We've dug out five of our favourites and we're going to chat over them in terms of how um, wild they may be or may not be. The first of all, uh, the first one of all, Joel, is Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. I love that tweet that's going around with the arrows about all the times Mane could have passed to Salah the other night uh, and he doesn't. And then there's the stuff now around he doesn't go down for penalties because Salah takes them. Um all predicated on the athletic piece last week, which just very casually dropped in the, the phrase that their relationship is imperfect uh, without elaboration. So, on the on the scale of conspiracy theory, wild, um, believable states of of Liverpool this season, where are you with Salah and Mane? I think this is pretty high up on the wild scale. Um... I think there's definitely something in the fact that they're not probably like the closest of mates in the squad. I think we all know sort of certain friendships there was last season. Obviously, Lovren and Salah were a real thing. Trent and Robertson obviously get on really well. Genie and Van Dyke. There's a few of them there that you can tell they get on really well. And you don't really sense that so much with with Mane and Salah. But it, it feels a little bit forced that people have to try and make it out into more of a problem than it is. Um, I mean, it goes all the way back to like, the Burnley game really away at the, the beginning of last season when they, you know, from everything you saw, they were, or Firmino was like laughing at them in the tunnel after the match. The media obviously made a huge deal out of it. And from everything you heard from inside the squad, they just found it funny, really. Um, and I think it's 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 a healthy form of competition, really. You go back to Liverpool's other kind of really successful partnerships in the past. I think they've actually spoken about it. I remember hearing on a podcast, I can't quite remember where, but Sturridge, was asked about how his personal relationship with Suarez was. And he said off the pitch, they weren't particularly close or anything, but they just had really good chemistry together and and did amazing things. And you don't have to be best friends with whoever you're playing with to, to do really good things on a football pitch. So, yeah, I'm not sure I buy that one. The thing about Mane not going down because he's not going to take the penalties to score. I mean, I think of all the players in that squad, they're all fiercely competitive athletes who, who want to win. But I think Mane probably you just watch him he absolutely hates losing football matches more than most so the idea that he is going to go out of his way to not help Liverpool win I think he's just going through one of those strange periods we've seen it before with him where just he's overthinking things and and not not playing his natural game really for whatever reason and it, it will come back I actually thought he played quite well against Wolves the other night despite 
not scoring. Um, he did pretty much everything else and obviously gets the assist. So, yeah, I don't really see too many problems there. Salah's numbers this season speak for themselves. Um, I think his 25 goals, he's on on course for his second best season. So, I think, yeah, of all Liverpool's many problems this season, um, to try and make out that this is one of them, I think feels a bit of a stretch to me. I mean, Mane's doing a lot of, he's doing a lot of the ugly things despite being mm. um, placed in a centre-forward position, Ollie, isn't he? You know, he's, he's playing centrally when Jota comes back in, for example. But he's doing a lot back to goal. You know, he's, he's winning a lot of headers. He's, he's taking a lot of knocks, kicks and bruises. If there's one thing he isn't, it's self. It, it you know it's it, it's he's selfish in the sense that he's playing for himself. He, he does most of his work for the team. Yeah, the, the idea that the conspiracy theory of not going out for penalties and stuff is just hilarious. That people just don't think like that in split second moments. When he goes around the keeper the other day, Thierry Henry points out really well. He went with the wrong foot by mistake. He also think, well, I'll go with this foot, so then he can't take me down to them. moment and take a penalty. It's just too long to even have that that thought. Um, I, he's been he's been much better last. The last couple of games, I did think that he he's dropped off more than most this season. His finishing has been pretty poor. He, he's dipped in and out of games more than usual. And it's not been a kind of a sustained 70, 80 minutes of excellence that you would expect from him. Um, but on the whole, I mean, he's he might be the most gifted athlete in the whole squad. And, and that turn of pace, that stuff we spoke about before, you know, he'll, he'll just stop and hit, hit the stop button along the sideline and just surge past another world-class athlete. It's the kind of stuff that there are so few players in world football who can do. You really are talking about Neymar and Mbappe, the, the greatest of the great athletes. Um, and he did that against Wolves once or twice. And it, it has been a while since we've kind of seen him do that multiple times in the game and take people on a drive beyond them. Um, so that, that was welcome. I'm not buying any of the conspiracies. It's just odd that you would think that they would even have to be friends. So one of it's imperfect. You wrote that piece uh, this week, Dan. You know, rumours was written as Fleetwood Wood Mac all hated each other. Lennon and McCartney, you know, great duos sometimes don't get along so well. And the phrasing of imperfect is so wonderful because it's like, well, we'll plant a seed, something's wrong, but imperfect, okay, so they're not perfect, best friends. One of them's not the godparent for the other one's kids. Cool. So they're good friends, but not perfect friends. Yeah. It's kind of a weird one. I, I pointed out in that piece, I don't think I've ever had a working relationship that I could define as perfect. No. Ever. Uh, I mean, any relationship for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The next one, um, I think the next most pressing one is is got to be the sort of physio, sports science element. Ollie, I'll come back to you. It's um, it's it's pictures of Chris Morgan on Twitter with a red X through him. It's, it's <laughs> sure. I mean, it's it's up there, isn't it? It's really frustrating, that one, because it's the one everyone knows the least about. It's, it's why I, I get probably more precious than most coming from covering American sports most of my career where they release a daily injury report, which is often fanciful anyway, but at least you get a daily update on where people are at. And you kind of have to squeeze out of managers and they, they, they tell half-truths or they admit information in the Premier League. But there's really no need to know unless they're on the pitch, one, on what the extent of the injuries are. You have no idea what's going on. It's the, it's the thing that fans, writers guess is the furthest removed from the realities of the building is the help of the players you will never know is there a case be made that maybe they whiffed on their preseason program compared to other teams you know jose Mourinho ran a massively different preseason program to liverpool that could be possible but we would never know that would only be known in the building based on all the, the data analysis they do on, on blood samples of players it's not even just an eye testing anymore 
you know so it, it's it's the most ludicrous one to me and to take it to that extreme it's just death too you can't legislate for your best player getting his knee ripped apart back from a terrible tackle that went on but joe gomez went down in a non-contact jog on england duty you know it had nothing to do with chris morgan i mean joel it's it, it is um you just you you become lost sometimes don't you with this and and I think it's been around a while, this sort of narrative, not not on Morgan, but just in general, that when it goes wrong in seasons and there's one or two injuries, it's very quickly that you point to medical departments and, and stuff like that. And we've seen over the years, Jürgen Klopp has built, you know, a consummate sort of well-oiled system at Liverpool, which gets them their marginal gains that he talks mm. about all the time. And, and I think Ollie's right to point out that, that the preseason was so truncated and it, and it was so condensed that the the preparations weren't great and they weren't helped by the fact that I think where they wherever they were were they in France and they ended up having monsoons and stuff like that. Um, Austria, wasn't it? Austria, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So there, there was a myriad of factors that were present, but I mean, you know, let's all let's all not forget that we were still top of the league on Christmas Day. It's not as if we've started the season and, and you've looked at us like you looked at Tottenham at Everton on the first game of the season and thought, by God, they're not fit. Mm. The ironic thing as well is that like the last two seasons, people have been praising Liverpool for the fact that they've had so few injuries to key players and that they've done so well with their conditioning to keep the front three fit pretty much non-stop. The full-backs barely missed a game of injury. Van Dijk played every single minute in the league last season. There's, there's, that's been like a, an ongoing thing that Liverpool are really good at avoiding them. You mentioned there, Klopp's gone out of his way to piece together a really cutting-edge, best possible kind of fitness and medical department out there. He's gone and got the, uh, what's her name, Mona Nemo from Bayern Munich, um, Korn Meyer, obviously the fitness coach. Liverpool are above and beyond most clubs in this regard. And a lot of the injuries they have had this season, the Van Dijk one, as Ollie says, is just a complete freak for Thiago one. Same thing and same game. Um, it's just a tackle that you can't legislate for. I understand people's frustrations with the, the Jota injury because it comes in a match that he doesn't need to be playing in. But then I suppose if you ask Klopp, I think he was rested in the game before that. His actual kind of total minutes at that point of the season was pretty low. And Klopp would just argue that for, for rhythm and, and, and confidence sake, if he could go out there and just play a few minutes, get a goal, then that would have been good for him. That was probably the thinking and it backfired. But I think as the other unspoken thing a little bit about Liverpool's injuries this season is some of them have just been by consequence of the other injuries basically so Fabinho I think he's had two or three different soft tissue issues issues now with his hamstring and I think he's done his calf or Henderson's done his calf but the reason he's playing so many games back to back with so little rest is because Klopp hasn't had the options it's basically been a choice of ask the same players to go again or throw in the kids, which is, isn't really fair when they're not ready. Um, so that's why you've seen players like Fabinho pick up injuries. Henderson's got injured now because they've just been going way more uh, than Klopp probably would have ideally chosen. I mean, I, I think it's miraculous that Robertson and Trent are still... Okay, I know Trent had a bit of a an issue in, I think it was November, he pulled a muscle or something, but Robertson has barely missed a minute and uh, that's that seems remarkable to me. So... I think, yeah, the idea that you could kind of blame the fitness department really for the bulk of these um, is a bit fanciful, to be honest. They, 
They are, it also, that conspiracy theory flies in the face of the other preferred one, which is about the, the investment in the club in terms of transfer fees. That The whole point of the model is to invest in every other area of the club to the maximum degree. They pay more than anyone for the medical department. They pay more than City for all the fitness staff. They, have, they employ more people than City in their fitness staff, including the performance analysis, to try and get a infinitesimal advantage. It's easier to go and pay more for your medical staff than it is to find 60 million quid in the transfer market. That's the, the game plan they try and make with scouting with every single department they have is, we'll pay more in that area so we don't have to pay as much in the transfer market. So you can't, you can't have both of them. Well, that, that's going to be the issue in the summer, isn't it? You know, who's going to buy Joel Matip? Who's going to buy Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain? Who's going to buy Naby Keita? Especially if they pick up with an Ox. You know, th- these are players who you're faced with no option, really, that, other than to, to put the work in in terms of a sports science aspect and, and conditioning aspect to get them uh, consistent and get them the Schlumberger uh, appointment is is worth pointing out in that as well. Yeah. The, the guy they brought in from Schalke, which I think is why we've seen Jota come back a bit later than people first thought. Um, Cater as well off the back of his most recent injury because I think they've been they brought this guy in specifically to do extra rehab work so that even if they could throw him into action a couple of weeks earlier, they're just doing extra sessions so that they're building up that that fitness of it when they do come back they're not just picking up knocks again within a few games so okay never too far away from the conspiracies family sports group um, ollie the uh the concept of super leagues the concept of fsg wanting to uh rule the world and and all within it um and while simultaneously doing that not give liverpool any money to spend on players where, where are you with the FSG conspiracies? Uh, well, there's that. We've got to pick apart 10 to 12 different ones. I think that it's hard to keep a tab. Uh, on no. all, I've got the, the chalkboard with all the red strings trying to figure out what, where it all leads to. Um, how it ends up with John Henry paying us, which we're always accused of. I'm not sure <laughs> I, haven't seen, I haven't seen any of that money from Mr. Henry. Um, I wish. Yeah, I know. Um, I think the Super League, that, that one is really real. I've written about this a ton of them trying to franchise the British sport. I think they think they can have their own league on in the middle of the week. Barcelona, Real Madrid, all the big boys, AC Milan, the, the clubs that maybe have taken a fall from grace recently and trying by the way back into the Super League. And then we get to have our domestic football on the weekend. I think they can really do that. And But the way they've tried to, to write the Super League document is that it's completely self-sustaining, so it just churns out cash. And it basically is an NFL model planted onto the Premier League game where they've written it in quite a creative way alongside FFP where we don't really tell there's a salary cap as fans and so that kind of instant repulsion of oh my god salary cap oh no don't like that the red meat of fans is well you'll get United Barcelona every fortnight rather than Molder versus uh, Shakhtar Donetsk and by the way it's £15 for away fans in on the door I think that's how they're trying to level out. And when you say it like that, it kind of makes some sense. But just the idea of having this small cabal of teams run the game forever and it lose some of its romance and it lose some of the, the beauty of both the European Cup and the domestic game, is, it's just, it just doesn't fly for me. And you only have to look at who they're in partnership with. It's it's the Glazers, it's Agnelli, it's all those people. So I don't think that is even a conspiracy theory. I think that that is, if you line that up for any business person, free money, they would say, fantastic, how do we do that? That we get to cap our outgoings, but it's unlimited incomings, wonderful. And that's that's the game plan. I think we I think Ollie's right to point out that it's a very real thing, Joe. I mean, Project Big Picture was was the clearest example of that. And within that, I mean, did you see 
I know it's gone back a while now, but I mean, did you see anything that, that set off the warning signs, or could you see reasoning what what was put forward at that time? I mean, it's very clear that Fenway, for example, they don't understand. They, they they like getting the money from TV deals, but they don't understand why Liverpool can't sort of take control of that themselves and um, and almost become you know part of three or four of the clubs who are having the final say on stuff like TV money and and general overall control and power over situations within the league um, because they, in their opinion, bring in the most revenue. Yeah, I mean, there was talk over the summer, wasn't there? And I think it's ongoing that they're looking to buy... Is it another European club? Ollie will know more about this than me. Um, they want to kind of expand their portfolio within football, um, which is interesting as well. So it's, I think definitely something that you, you could believe um, in them wanting to do. I think in general, my, my kind of thoughts on FSG, this is going a bit off track with the conspiracy stuff, but I think a lot of people's why these conspiracy theories emerge and why people are still kind of suspicious about them even sort of over a decade into their their ownership is they they're a really easy proxy for when people just don't know what's going on behind the scenes so to take a real uh, recent example from january like a lot of people were furious at fsg throughout january for the failure to sign a center back until deadline day but i still don't know and i we've written and read and spoken a lot about it why it actually took that long because liverpool obviously were linked with Kabak in the summer, for instance. Um, so it's not like he was a new target, but just emerged out of nowhere late on in the window. They would have known going into January that he was somebody on their list. How high up that was, we're not quite sure. Um, but what we don't know is whether Klopp wanted to sign him on the 1st of January, but FSG said no. Uh, we don't know what money Schalke were asking for at that point, because apparently they were quoting something like 30, 40 million at, at one point. Um so it might have taken a bit longer for Liverpool to kind of knock them down to the, the deal they eventually got. Um, and so there's always like missing pieces that people don't quite know. We don't know what Klopp's stance was throughout the window, whether he was quite happy and just said to the ownership, look, I'm happy to go the rest of the season with a mixture of Fabinho, Henderson, Nat Phillips, and and we'll just see where we are. Um, and so FSG, they just become the really easy solution. We can just blame them and say they haven't given them the money. Um, and I think, again, we'll probably have to do the same thing this summer. I'm not saying they're perfect owners by any stretch, but if Liverpool don't end up signing whoever their prime targets are this summer or certain players leave who people don't want to leave, it will automatically just become an FSG problem. Whereas I think in reality, a lot of these issues are a bit more complex than, than people make up. I mean, conspiracies aside, Ali, there is the, the LeBron James stuff today and mm-hmm. that... Um is something which again has, has got tongues wagging and, and you wrote something this morning on how this could all sort of come under one bubble and it, and it all could have a lot to do with Nike. Yeah, I think what's, what's important to note whenever you see stuff about FSG is that they operate with everything as the group, you know, and then it's led by John Henry. Tom Werner is probably the, the, the largest sounding board, the most public face other than Henry, but everything is about the group. The Red Sox and the New England Sports Network, the TV vehicle, are as important as the Liverpool Football Club in that venture. And it's really hard as a fan to divest yourself and say, I really care about this thing. I love this thing. I think about it constantly. Why don't they care as much as me? They just don't. It's just never going to happen. They're not going to invest. 
beyond their means. None of it will happen. And to be fair to them, they have been pretty straight up and frank about it all the way through, that it has to be self-sufficient, it has to be self-sustaining. And that means that when we get 80 million, it's going into a stand and it's not going into a midfielder. That, that They're kind of pretty transparent about it. I think what is important to know is that they are not going anywhere anytime soon. The long game plan is to sell the entire group. It's not to sell Liverpool Football Club to someone in the Middle East for $4 billion. It's to sell the entire enterprise, the Red Sox, the, the TV networks, in an $8, $12 million deal in the next 10, 50 years. And that includes, by the way, if you go through the proposal for the Super League, Project Big Picture, and the expanded Champions League, is their own Liverpool TV channel. They don't understand why they have to give broadcast rights away to Sky BT when they could just have Liverpool TV channel showing all their games. That is the next frontier is to try and get everything under one umbrella so that is where i think they go the next six eight years has a ton to do with nike as i, as I wrote in that piece so i think it's just more to state like that the next six seven eight years they're not going anywhere at some point they may sell it but you got to try and find a buyer who would buy a baseball team a sports network that is only in new england and liverpool football club that's that's a big asking price i would also just add in on the fsg thing people talk about them like they're just one single entity they just say the word fsg but Klopp's really good mates with Mike Gordon, who's the president. He and Michael Edwards from Everything You Read kind of are in regular contact, speak every day, get on really well, just enjoy chatting about things. And Gordon's the one who's really into football and the day-to-day aspects of stuff. And then you've got the other guys, Henry um, and Werner, who are sitting in an office somewhere on the other side of the Atlantic, who kind of have a, a, a big role in decision-making, but aren't so much kind of to do with the day-to-day stuff. So saying that FSG are a problem for Liverpool or, or Klopp's got a fractured relationship with SSG just doesn't really make sense because there's there's different people there. They're not just one single blob who will do the same thing. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Move on to the next one. Jürgen Klopp and his future, Joe. Uh, a lot mm. of Germany chat. Um, a lot of sudden bursts of panic about whether Jürgen Klopp would consider leaving Liverpool early. Uh, I know his agent came out recently and refuted that. I mean, for everything you know about Klopp, it's a setback like we've had this season is is only going to be something that drives him. It's only going to be something that stokes the fires with him. And you know, you you wouldn't even envisage, therefore, something like the Bayern Munich or the Germany national job um, being able to tempt him from at least the time in which his current Liverpool contract is up in twenty twenty four. No, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, like after the, the Fulham game, I think it was, I, I had a bit of a moment where I was just like, this this isn't good. This has gone on for probably a little bit too long now. And Klopp didn't look like he was enjoying it. His body language, even just the way he looked in his interviews, he just looked defeated, disengaged, like, like he was just had enough of the whole thing. And that's understandable given what he's been through over the last few years with this team, what he's been through personally um, of late um, to do with his mother. Obviously, it must have been a huge stress that none of us could imagine having to play the role he does with that amount of kind of hope and expectation on his shoulders in the public eye, getting asked the same tedious questions after every single defeat uh, when you've got that going on in your own personal life is a really difficult thing. And it was a point where I I was kind of a bit worried. Um, But then you do think, well, where where would he actually go? Because he, he's already shut down the Germany thing. I understand why people, there's an obvious link there. He, he's from Germany. It basically goes as far as that. And they, they would probably like to have him. Um, 
but the way he is as a manager and a person it, you think he's kind of he'd want to be in a job where he's involved in the day-to-day the long-term development of players getting to know people on a really close level and and it being a project whereas being a national team coach is just a completely different way of managing you, you only see your players every few months it's much more sort of game to game rather than training ground stuff which is every time he speaks he's he emphasizes the importance of what we do in training so i never really thought that was a goer so much i think as well like i know people saying like the current predicament and whether that just be a little bit too much for him but we've we've written about it on the site before you go back to way earlier in Klopp's career he's gone through a lot worse than this um back in his mind's days um there's a really good if you read the honigstein book it goes into some good detail about this but i think he lost out on promotion with mines two seasons in a row i think once was by goal difference on the final day and the other one was by a single point or something going into the final day and then eventually took them up so he's he's a manager who's used to things going really badly wrong huge disappointment and he's come back from it before and i think he he is one who will just want to see at least see his contract out of liverpool and I do struggle to see him moving on to another really high-profile job after this, I have to say. I think he'll, he'll be close to 60, I think, by then in 2024. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, to be honest, if it is his last job in management, full stop, and he goes into something else, whether it be punditry or another kind of football director-type role. Um, I'm not sure, but I think now that I've had some distance and a couple of good results, um, you can see kind of where things might get back on track next season beyond um i'm a lot calmer than i was about about his future i think my own conspiracy Ollie, is that multi-billion pound companies hire him as some kind of consultant uh, uh, kind of management crisis consultant that that exists now ralph randick red bull just said run all our football teams why are you bothering running one football team run all of them win the Austrian league one week and then take Leipzig into the Champions League the next week, you know, and then you can leave for Milan at some point if you want. I know it fell through, but that kind of deal on the table with Liverpool saying, hey, go and run all these clubs we bought in Belgium and stuff would, would be a possibility. Joel makes a good point there. I think that from everything we know about him, he's definitely seeing out the contract. He's seen out every contract. He intimated again this week, I see our contracts. It really means something to him that he signed his name there. He delayed his past sabbatical to, to extend this contract. So you have to bake almost the sabbatical in as an extra year at the end of that contract, so 2025 we're looking at, and he's getting up there in, in years. And he said before, he's not managing into his 70s and 80s. It's just not who he is. And then you start looking around and saying, well, he needs basically a cultural club. He's not just going to roll in somewhere where he gets a ton of cash. He just throws it at a project and it's two years and, and off he skedaddles with a Champions League trophy. That's not what he likes. He likes to be a part of the city. He likes to be a part of the fan base. There just aren't that many clubs left where he would win stuff. I don't know if Bayern Munich was scratch the same itch as, as doing stuff with Dortmund. I'm not sure that Juventus fits that believer. It's all a bit corporate and a bit like, ugh, you know, everyone else yeah. has won here. What am I really doing? And the only other one that would even fit would maybe be Barcelona. And do you want to be the guy who goes in there, given what's going on now and in a post-messy landscape in four or five years when it might be a bit of a mess? That that doesn't seem – that's the only one I could maybe see in 2024. But I just think the options are so slim. It's just – it's not much out there for him, which is mad because he might be the best manager in, in the world. He might be the best manager of the last decade. He might be the guy who defines the 2010s onwards as a football manager. And, and yet it's everyone wants him. And I'm not even sure there's a fit there beyond taking a sabbatical in 2025 and rolling 26 onwards with the national team. Do you think also as well, though, there's a possibility that this sort of high intensity, I know this is not 
his staple, even though it's his identity. The the sort of Gagan press football becomes unfashionable over the next few years. Do you know, do you think it, it do you think if Klopp was, for instance, to step away from football for two years, he might find that it, it has moved on in a way in which it did from someone like Mourinho um, at the time that he was away from England in general. It's a, it's a very specific thing that he asks, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And I don't think it's something that you can sort of step away from too long. I think he, you always have to sort of be around it. And it's a principle which he has developed himself. He's not the manager who who left Dortmund. He's a completely different manager. His team play a completely different way. He's a lot more controlling. He's a lot more conservative than people think. I'm just wondering sort of what his own trajectory would be in terms of how he would develop as a coach if he was to leave Liverpool. It's a good point. I He, he might be the most self-aware, very famous person anywhere near football. And so I think he would be able to track the history of the game that you kind of get... 15 years at the very top oh, yeah. he's not going to be that far away from it once we're at 2024 and that's where i think the national team becomes a real thing because you don't really need to have kind of a cohesive doctrine that's like this is how we play and all that you can maybe bundle your way through a tournament with a group of great players and get yourself a shot of winning a world cup and just being a complete legend forever and i think that would fit kind of the timeline of his career is where that makes the most sense having to go into juventus and saying okay we're going to try and play this style of football and you know we're counter pressing again and maybe as you said the game's evolved to the point we don't even know yet it just seems like a massive ask of a man who like joel said will be nearing his 60s all right final one joel will ben davis move to celtic for 10 million this summer <laughs> without playing a game for Liverpool or kicking a ball um i mean i I've written it. We do, as you know, before every match, a kind of what to watch feature. And I must have done two or three now where I said, is this the time where we finally see Ben Davies get a start at centre-back? And it just doesn't happen. In fact, he doesn't even make the bench. I think that's probably been even more so than him not featuring so far has been the most surprising aspect. Is he's just not even getting in the match day squads. And, you know, Reese Williams is on there most weeks. Um, a player who has only really had under-23s experience prior to, well, not even that, prior to this, and he was playing for Kidderminster in non-league, as as you hear every single time he plays. Um, but the fact that they've, they've signed him and he's not even not even on the bench. Um, Klopp's been asked about it a few times in press conferences, hasn't given too much away. At one point, he said he had a knock. Then I think most recently, he gave, he gave a bit more of an explanation where he said that he's just got to basically learn quite a few things and get up to speed. Um but I, I have been, it's something doesn't quite add up about it because, I mean, Kabak hardly came from the highest level. He's playing for a team who was getting thrashed every single week at the bottom of the Bundesliga, was basically pretty much already relegated in January by the time he joined. Um, I think they lost seven or eight nil at one point in this season and he played. And yeah, it's not like he came from a really similar level to Liverpool and just slotted in. He's made the step up and he's been thrown straight in and especially in recent games has looked apart. Um so, yeah, it, it is a confusing one. I think when we all saw the name, um, I think most of us, apart from Guy Clark, hadn't really heard of him um, or, or knew much about him. So I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see now because we've got this established partnership between Kabak and Phillips and the way Phillips is playing at the moment, you don't really want to take him out of the team. It looks stable with Fabinho in front of them. Um, I, I don't think they'll sell him in the summer. That would just seem such an unclop, un-Liverpool thing to do, literally to 
get a player for six months to make a cheap buck. Um, and I think they will need numbers next next season um, because we again we referenced it before, but we don't know what kind of shape the centre backs are coming back from injury will actually be in and and how long it will take them to get back to a level we want. So I think having him in the squad next season definitely makes sense. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to be honest at this point if the first time we actually see him play for Liverpool is is a pre-season game at some point in the summer. Is there anything at all else to this, Ollie? Do you think? I think I buy this one. Really? I think I buy. I think the thing that's made me be like, you know what, this is a bit weird, is the bench situation. Because I get him saying, look, he's got to figure out the nuances of our system. It's really demanding, really taxing. Got to be in certain places at certain times. So then I watch the games. I think Nat Phillips is really reckless. He loves to jump out the line. That cannot be within the principles of what Klopp is teaching every day. And the lad from Kidderminster figured this out in six months, but the player's been playing professional football for years, can't pick this up that fast. That that seems a bit iffy. I, I would not be floored if there was a deal that said, like, if you need to play him, play him. But if not, he doesn't play it, sit on the bench because we want to take him this summer. And him and his agent sat with Liverpool and Celtic on a conference call and said, let's iron out this deal that says this is how it goes the rest of the season. If it's a break glass situation... He is available. If not, you leave him in Kirby. That wouldn't floor me. And, I, and they will not sell it because they will not want to look like that. It will be a loan where, they, where they, they can brief and say, you know, he needs development. He needs more game time. We can call him back in January if we need be. But we'll loan him with an option for Celtic to buy. You know, Tsukumi Minamino immediately briefed that, oh, no, we love him. He'll come back. Well, then why did you let him go in the middle of the season? That's a weird one. So I could, I could definitely see that happening. The other option, me and Dan discussed this the other day, is he got to Kirby. They all looked around and said, he's not fast enough to play at this level. What did we do? Which is in play. I think the, the other thing as well, they gave him like a proper big like photo <laughs> unveiling. They took him they took him to Anfield. So There's a photo of him standing there with his arms out under the Vitas Anfield sign, looking out on the pitch, interviewing him about how it's his dream to be here. I don't know. To put him through all that and not even give him a, a run out. I mean, I don't even buy the pace thing because I've I've seen few players turn slower than our current two centre backs, but they're doing just fine because we generally don't let the ball get near them. And when it does, it's usually headers, which they're good at. Um, so everything you read about him, I mean, he, he was supposedly one of the better centre-backs in the championship. He's not like he's come from non-league football or something. It's just a tier below. Um, if so if the idea, to, sorry, Joel, go on. No, the idea that he would be so far off the level that he couldn't even get on the bench instead of Reese Williams to me, I don't quite buy. I think... I agree with you, but he's not. If you sell to Collie, do you not yeah. just do you not just absolutely walk away from the whole thing out of principle, or is this very sort of Bobby Axelrod um, doing you out of a deal and then uh, giving you giving you some light back at the yeah. long game play? If I'm them, I'm reevaluating now what what the what the terms were. I mean, you might ask for Reese Williams at this rate. Guy can get a Liverpool bench, you know. There you go. We got through a whole pod and got one over the line. Um, they, we, we are we are a, democ- a democratic bunch. See, we buy into everything. All right, uh, that's been the Pools.com podcast this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Check out the Pools.com's website where there's tons of writing brilliantly done by the two gentlemen with me on this podcast um, and tons of features that you'll find interesting. Other than that, stay safe um, and speak soon. Hopefully, I was going to say after another Liverpool win, but they're not even playing. So, see you later. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.